And here we go, Hour 2 on a great day for Talk Radio. It's a developing news story. Danny mentioned Niagara Regional Police responding to reports of multiple gunshots fired in St. Catharines. A number of people have been taken to hospital. No word yet on the extent of the injuries or the total number of individuals who were uh, involved in this, but we're keeping you posted as the information comes in. We've also got our panel standing by, topics worthy of discussion. This may be one yet before uh, the hour is out, but uh, Peter Sherman, David Wills, Stephen Holliday going to join us in-house. The thing I was discussing with Lou before the top of the hour had to do with a story that he first brought to our attention just a few days back, I believe, where uh, the president of this franchisee uh, group who were against or at least uh, concerned about certain things that the uh, parent brand of Tim Hortons, uh, Restaurant Brands International, was doing or not doing uh they just weren't all on the same page uh great white north franchisee association he's had his four locations in lethbridge alberta taken from him and some of these had uh, anywhere from four to eight years still to run insofar as the franchisee agreements were concerned whether or not uh this was legal to do lou was suggesting well this is a master slave relationship he's effectively bought himself a job so uh he's not surprised by that development but i believe uh there might other be other legal implications here, and uh, on that note, we've been joined on the line by Ned Levitt, who's a partner with Dickinson Wright LLP, a franchise lawyer. Ned, good to have you on the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So what are the rights here of David Hughes? David Hughes was the president of the Great White North Franchisee Association. He's now lost his four stores in Lethbridge, as I just pointed out. Uh, what are his rights, or is it a master-slave relationship? Well, I can't, obviously, without setting agreements and facts and so on, be able to say what his rights are. But we, I can certainly talk about uh, what would often be the case uh, in these types of situations. So I, I, I don't believe at all that you can use the word, you know, the straight face about slavery and franchising. That's, you know, it's just emotional. But um, certainly there's a controversy going on here that's a huge one. And I can tell you that um, frequently these things do boil over, and who's going to own or who's going to possess the business that's been franchised is a critical issue in resolving this. And uh, if, uh, if the franchisee had resisted physically and not uh, acquiesced in the takeover, I, I, I can assure you that the franchisor would have not been able to physically take over. Police could have been called and they would have prevented it. And then the franchisor would have been asked to go to court and get an order. My understanding is the real grievance here is that the parent company believes that Hughes uh, had leaked some information to the media as to how this parent company was operating things, things he wasn't happy about, and uh, the media ran with the story, and they've seen this in a kind of a subversive light, which is why I asked whether that was permissible to do. Here's the statement from, and you're probably familiar with this, the RBI spokesperson who says that Tim Horton's franchisee agreement clearly states it's not allowable for any restaurant owner to share confidential company information with the media, disparage the company or the Tim Horton's brand in the media, or with community partners and vendors, or ultimately harm the Tim Hortons brand in, in any way. Does he deny, first of all, Mr. Hughes doing any of that? Well, I, I, uh, you realize I'm not counsel for him, of course, right? I just have been in this game for all right. for, for 40 years, and, uh, so I don't know. But I, can, but I did read that in the paper and also just heard it from you. Uh, uh, from my experience, that would not necessarily be sufficient to terminate the agreement and take away his livelihood. 
so, you know, the, the courts, and there's good law on this, that they often uh, won't allow someone to take someone else's uh, livelihood away or rights uh, uh, easily. And, yeah, there may be some damages. There may be they could get an order to stop him from uh, continuing to disclose these things. But, honestly, I mean, something like not paying royalties, clear, black and white. Something like perhaps leaking something that somebody thinks is confidential information, not so easy. All right. Uh, one of the allegations is that he critiqued the high cost of the new espresso machines. Uh <laughs> Typically, is it permissible for a franchisee to criticize some of the internal management policies or pricing and so on and so forth? Well, uh, you know, if something is put in an agreement by the parties, and otherwise they were bargaining on an equal footing, that you're expected to abide by provisions like that. Uh, but, you know, so if it wasn't that kind of language, of course a franchisee would be free, subject to libel and slander rules generally, be able to criticize anything, including about the franchisors. Nothing about the relationship that prevents that. So it's only uh, the contract language that that, read, uh, that you read, but, it, you know, that's language that's not so precise and not so easy to uh, interpret and enforce. Because you know what's disparaging, what's you know what's confidential. I mean, we <laughs> look what Trump's trying to do: having the New York Times uh, arrest somebody and take them hostage or something. You know. <laughs> well, now hang on. Uh, <laughs> he has suggested treason. I think uh, <laughs> some cooler heads have backed him off that, yeah. but he's called it cowardly. Yeah. But that's again, you know, allegedly leaking sensitive corporate information to the media. The New York Times may run that as an op-ed, but uh, still. Uh, you're suggesting that, well, we don't know because you're not representing this no. particular individual. These no. are just allegations. Right. But uh, what the company is saying in their own defense is that we have multiple avenues to raise issues with management. So if they make that available, uh, they want to keep all of these family squabbles internal. And right. you don't, can that be enforced? Well, I, okay, so consider this. Why would a franchisee have important information that they couldn't disclose to the world. It might be things like competitive uh, revenues or, or, or costs or things like that, but honestly, if they are unhappy with what they're being required to pay for something or whatever, how is that something that they shouldn't have the right to complain about publicly? I mean, they don't, they're not on the board of directors. They don't, they don't have real trade secrets and conflict. Well, they don't have confidential information about how the corporation works. So right away, as a lawyer, I question, uh, what is the enforceability of that provision? Well, um, is I, there any force in law for the franchisee agreement, again, which I read earlier, stating that you can't disparage the company or the Tim Hortons brand in the media or with community partners and vendors? That is different. Disparagement is important because a brand has value, and if you disparage too much, you reduce the brand and the value. But, you know, it, let's say it's something is terrible and true. Is it disparaging to say, to reveal a truth? That's an interesting legal point to argue. Well, all right. The truth can be a defense for sure. Uh, so you're not, you are not representing this individual, no. as you've told us. But in the event that you were, uh, do you think he'd be on solid legal footing or you, you would at least have a, a case to be made that he was stripped of his franchises unjustly? Well, I don't have a lot of information. I have the articles in the paper. I, I have other, you know, just gossip on the street and so on. 
And so I, whatever I'm going to say next is, is not definitive, but it, it, it smacks of a bit heavy-handedness. Uh, I, I would certainly hope this franchisee would get well, good legal counsel. I mean, I, there, there's legal counsel for the, uh, the, the franchisee association, but that isn't necessarily the legal counsel for an individual franchisee. Although this is also uh, franchisee association type issues, because if they if they can do this to one guy, they can do it to someone else, and and there and then sort of uh, put the rebellion down, and it smacks to me of that's the strategy that the franchisor is using: cut the head off. Mm. Okay, that and by the way, there's law in Alberta and in Ontario and a couple of the other provinces that the franchisor cannot do anything to interfere with the rights and formation of a franchisee association. I suspect we're going to hear next that there's a court application for damages for having done just that. Even though the company says it has nothing to do with his position as the president of the Great White North Franchisee Association. Yeah, so, well, what else would you expect him to say? Well, yeah, but you're saying, in a nutshell, this case is instructive to uh, any franchise or franchisee arrangement. Oh, sure, sure. It, in fact, this whole de- uh, debacle is going to be studied and examined for a very long time, both in the business environment and in the legal environment. All right. Uh, Well, we're out of time on this, but I appreciate you joining us and clarifying a lot of points in law. Okay. You're welcome. Thank Thank you. you. Ned Levitt, again, is a franchise lawyer with Dickinson Wright LLP.